0: it's time to talk sixers simmons off balance and an incredible bank shot is good here on the broadcast the official podcast of sixers.com if drives down the lane he goes in and slams it oh man what a play by him now here's today's episode
1: the last second 76ers get it done again this time thursday in chicago Ben Simmons, career night scoring with 32 points. Clutch from the free throw line in the final seconds, knocking down two to put the Sixers over the top. Joel Embiid dominant with 30, 13, and 5 in the Sixers' 116-115 dub over the Chicago Bulls. Their sixth straight win Longest winning streak, not just the Brett Brown era, but also for the Sixers since 2011-2012. So, yes, a very good time for the 76ers as they head into the home stretch of the season. Brian Seltzer welcoming you back into a Friday edition here on the broadcast. Coming up, we're going to speak with a season set of eyes and a man of sharpened hoops instincts within the Sixers organization. He got a shout-out following one of the Sixers' recent victories for being one of the lead advocates for the Sixers pursuing T.J. McConnell in undrafted rookie free agency back in 2015. He's a Philly guy, and his name is Rod Baker. He's currently a scout with the Sixers, and we'll chat with him in just a moment. A reminder that to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so in a couple ways. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. All you have to do is type in Sixers Podcast Network, and we also have a SoundCloud page at SoundCloud.com backslash Sixers. So every professional sports organization tends to have some wise sets of eyes. People with keen intuition, trusted instinct, and for the Sixers Rod Baker fits this bill. He is a guy who grew up in North Philadelphia, went to Roman Catholic, then played at Holy Cross before a lengthy career in college coaching, and he is now a lead scout for the 76ers. He works closely with Senior Director of Basketball Operations Vince Rosman, Brian Colangelo, and the rest of the front office, and he also interfaces regularly with the coaching staff, guys like Lloyd Pierce, all in an effort to try and mine talent for the Sixers. So the context for this conversation with Rod is this soundbite from Brett Brown, which came in the aftermath of the Sixers' February 12th win over the New York Knicks at the center. And that, of course, was the night that T.J. McConnell went for a historic 10 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, and also six steals, should mention, becoming the first Sixer reserve ever to manufacture a triple-double. Here's what Brett Brown had to say that night, and then we'll bring in Rod right after that. I give Rod Baker credit. He, he came in and he said, you're going to love this kid. Like, Rod remembers a lot of, you know, basketball history in New England, and he made references, and, uh, you know, I really didn't know T.J. That, that, that much. But T.J. was the first phone call I made after the draft inviting him to Summer League. Uh, you know, I'm Brett Brown,
0: the head coach of the Philadelphia 76.
1: 76- after hearing Rod, the head coach, Crop your name in a post-game press conference after T.J. McConnell's historic triple-double against the Knicks before the All-Star break. thought this would be an appropriate time to bring you in, sit you down for a podcast. So first of all, thank you for making the time in a busy schedule. No, believe me, it's my pleasure. So, as Brett told that after that triple-double game for TJ following the Knicks win, he said that you came in and said to Brett, you're going to love this kid, talking about TJ McConnell. What sure. did you think it was about TJ that would really resonate with Brett's profile?
0: Well, I had seen him play, and this was actually, I'm pretty sure, before, uh, or right around the time when I first started scouting. But we had had him at Nike Academies before. And I remember... Just watching him and realize, first of all, that Brett would love him because he's like Brett was when Brett played. You know, I mean, he's the guy where you just you love his intensity, you love his his leadership. You know, like he's not gonna let guys slack. And so he thought, yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna start somewhere, this is as good a place as any to start. He amazingly,
1: and perhaps not surprisingly, just has seemed to get better. And better over the last three years, talking about TJ. Did you sure. guys, when you initially saw him, expect this much from him to be able to give this much to the team?
0: Well, I mean, whatever limitations he has, he's more than willing to fight past them. You know, I think his greatest skill is he comes in the gym every day still trying to make the team. Like, he doesn't take anything for granted. And so you just watch them. And we've said, <clears throat> I remember sitting around prior to this season, like you know, September, October, before training camp, and there were a few days when TJ wasn't here. And our gym is very, very different when TJ's not in the building. You know, it just, like, he brings a certain attention to detail, a certain competitiveness uh, that everybody else can't get away from.
1: What do you think it is about him? Because I, I think it's you know you talking about that it makes sense because you watch him play and it's like he gives off that vibe that nothing is taken for
0: granted at all and not everyone has that it's it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, a kid who went to Duquesne, you know, was pretty good at Duquesne, thought that there was something more, some like you know there was a there was a, a a different gold ring to grab for, goes out to Arizona. I mean, two years in a row, he's player of the year in the Pac-12. No, I mean, it's no question they steal one from him. Uh, and you just look, he's not the most gifted athlete. Uh, he's becoming a much better shooter. Uh, but he just, he doesn't quit. He won't quit, no matter what the situation. He keeps coming at you and, and like it matters. Brett also said after that, Next game that you
1: mentioned some specific names to him in your initial conversations about T.J. that would have connected with Brown's New England past. You yourself have a big history in New England. Do you remember any of the comps that you might have made when you were talking about T.J. Anything like that?
0: and uh, I, I mean, I'm struggling a little bit, Brad, because I, I I don't, you know. I mean, but he's got. Man, if I had to, I mean, he's he's. If he if if TJ had grown up here instead of Pittsburgh, you would consider him a Catholic League guard. You know he he w- he would be the kind of guard that came out of the Catholic League. Uh, if you look, you go to Boston. You know he's he he could TJ would flourish in any gym he walked into. I don't care what neighborhood it was in. He would flourish because you know guys would be a little bit oh man we're going to take this little white guy, and then all of a sudden. When you've won like the last five games in a row because of him, you go, "Oh yeah, come on, you can play anytime you want to." And that would be T.J.
1: Do you remember the first time you saw him, really studied him, or started to pay attention to him?
0: The first time I saw him was at an academy, at at a, uh, a um, Nike academy, and he's honestly and truly he was, and this was going into his senior year at Arizona, the summer before, and he's really the same guy then as he is now, you know I mean? He just, he fights, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't give an inch, you know, you remember times, you know, when he, after he'd been here for a year or so and now Joel's starting to play a little bit and now they're playing pickup and they get into it a little bit and, you know, TJ looked like, TJ looked like, uh, Jeff Van Gundy grabbing on somebody's leg, you know what I mean? With between him and Joel, like they just, they just, and then afterwards, you know, they hug and kiss, just like they hug and kiss now. You know what I mean? It, it's it, He's just that competitive guy.
1: If you take us inside the scouting world a bit, just how important are showcases and gatherings, something along the lines of like that Nike Academy for guys who might not be on the top of mock drafts or publicized names that we read about on ESPN.com or see on television coverage, just how important are those showcases to get guys – eyeballs headed in their direction
0: i mean what it does i think is you bring in what somebody considers an elite group you know whoever that somebody is they consider that to be an elite group and now you watch guys going against the best of that group and that's different from what they did if you see them in a high school game or even what they did and if you happen to catch them in a college game you know there's not everybody in that setting is an elite You know, where now you get to these these combine type situations or or like a like an academy. That's the best that there is to offer for that time. And now you see, you know, hopefully that's a microcosm of the next step would be of of him going to the NBA. And now if he can, if whoever it is competes in that group, maybe they got a chance. Maybe they have a chance.
1: TJ tells the story a lot about how he was one of the last guys into the combine um the year he was coming out of Arizona. Just the I want to say it was if not fifteen close to it, um, pre draft workouts. <laughs> he had to make his way to Did you think that he was gonna get drafted that year? Do you think there was maybe
0: a shot? We were hoping that he doesn't. You know, like <laughs> we, it was it was like we were poised to make him a sixer as quickly as possible and we're sitting on, you know, pins and needles waiting for 60 to get called and it wasn't him cuz i mean like immediately we were like let's go you're going to be a sixer you're going to be ours and what's it going to take
1: and it sounds like was one of the more immediate draws at that point in time especially cuz you go back to 2015 at that point in the franchise progression was it as much about the intangible factors with him, someone who could help bring along a winning culture as it was,
0: skill set, combination of both. A combination of both. You know, I mean, he had he had it all. He just needed the opportunity. You know, I mean, he's he's special. We, we continue to say that. I mean, you watch. Now you fast forward to that summer league, and the first thing he did, because he's really, really smart, he attaches himself to Jaleel you know he's going to make sure he, he you know he's going to make sure that Jaleel knows what he's supposed to do where he's supposed to be how you know he consults with Jalil how can, how do you want me to get you the ball that kind of stuff you know like you you connect yourself to our first pick and you know you're going to help each other get to the next step and he's just that he's that smart
1: when you guys have a prospect that you lay eyes on for the first time, generally speaking, whether, you know, if you want to give a story about T.J. Great, if it's just guys in the general sense. Um, you see someone, do you then run it up the flagpole in the scouting and basketball operations department? How does it then take off from there to spread the word about an impression of a player um, to the rest of the front office?
0: We we create a database of what we call player alerts. You know, here's someone that I saw uh that played pretty well in whatever setting it was, either in a game or I saw him at a practice or at a combine or whatever. Here's someone that I saw <clears throat> and you know, in researching their numbers, you know, he might have a chance. Let's look at him. So like all these names go into this database and we're constantly referring back to them and then if that person keeps going and so we, we, we tier those groups you know we, we we this is the best of the best this is the middle of the best this is the ones we need to keep an eye on and we continue to refer back to that and we'll look it's okay on november 1st we thought that johnny smith was here is he still here or has he moved up in our eyes? Or has he dropped back in our eyes? And we're constantly going back through that till we get to draft it. Do scouts, and maybe it's different
1: for everyone, start to feel an attachment towards certain players? Is there an emotional investment in guys sometimes?
0: I mean, it depends because – you don't always, yeah, I mean, there there are, there are guys, there are certain guys that find certain guys that they will fight for tooth and nail for whatever reason, you know, because it's emotional or it's something that reminds them of something else or whatever, but they see someone and they go, that's a guy that I'm going to continue to fight for. Um, it happens. Sometimes you have some other kind of connection, either, you know, like through academies and stuff, <clears throat> myself or, or Lloyd, you know, may have, like, you know, coached the kid, you know, and spent time and got to talk to the kid. Maybe a kid comes through, gets through everything, gets to the interview process at the combine in Chicago. And now, all of a sudden, that guy sits down and he really impresses you for whatever reason. Um, you might hold on to that. It there's always something. There's a there's a analytical like kind of stand offish look at it, but there's also sometimes there's a visceral thing where you just i like that guy i th- I like that guy first, and then I think that guy makes us better, which is probably the wrong order, but still like you you just you kind of get those feelings and then you fight
1: does t j know that you were a strong advocate of his
0: I don't know. TJ tells me every day he loves me so I can't tell you if he knows why or not.
1: That's great. Uh, I mean, does this uh rank uh where where would you rank this among some of your uh favorite stories just uh, and we'll get into your involvement in the game, but uh, where would TJ's journey, his path rank among the things that you've seen or oh, been he, a part of?
0: He's right at the top. I mean, he's right at the top because of you know, I mean, if you if you like you can search for a bunch of words to describe him. Relentless I think is one. Uh, you know, his sense of relentlessness is what will always draw me to him. I know the sample size is the sample size, but
1: now he's shooting over 51% from three this year. It's like, when are opponents going to start to honor that? It's like you leave him open in a corner and he's knocking
0: him down. He's, I think you give some of that and you give a lot of that to him and, and his willingness to work, uh, and you give you give a lot of it to John Townsend because of his willingness to work with them uh and you know there was a game <laughs> there was a game i think i think we won uh don't really remember but there were a couple times when like tj was this was before he let's say this was 2 months ago like when and and it's it's a close game and he had two bare wide open threes that he didn't take that he should have taken, make or miss he still should have taken him, and I remember going down to the locker room after the game and and I walked up to him he was he was he was sitting in, in in on his bed- in his chair, and I walked up behind him, and he turned and he saw that it was me, and he says, "I know, I know I'm a and i your podcast doesn't need the word that he called himself <laughs> uh, but he goes i know, I know I'm a and and he goes, I, 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 next time, I know, I know, I know, I got it. And, like, I didn't even have to even see, he knew what I was coming to tell him. I wish
1: I could remember off the top of my head um, the exact timing of this, and it seems like it is in line with what you're talking about. Um, he spoke to the media, I want to say maybe right around the time of the London game or just after Christmas where he was, like, talking about the whole concept of needing to be more selfish at times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is a selfish act in terms of the context of a team, to not be selfish. Like when you have an open look like that and right. passing up what would be a high percentage opportunity, um, which, you know, for a guy like him has got to be an adjustment in sure. some ways.
0: Sure. But he – let's just all enjoy the fact that he's gotten over that because he really is shooting the ball well. It's know? amazing. <laughs> and, and it's – I think all you have to do is make one or two and all of a sudden, you know – you think you'll never miss again
1: and i think the biggest thing overlooked from that triple double game was the fact that he had six steals too which is like you know that got lost amidst the uh, we take that for granted (laughs) you know all right so uh let's get into your involvement with the sixers um your first season in the organization was 13-14 head coach of the delaware 87ers in the g league you're now a scout with the franchise you're a North Philadelphia man, bored and bred, went to Roman Catholic. This has got to be pretty fun, I would think.
0: It took me almost 40 years to get back home, uh, but it's it's really fun. I mean, it, it's it's what I've always wanted. You know, I mean, to to be able to impact your hometown team, the team that you grow up you grew up watching and Admiring and and wanting nothing but the best for it, you know. I, I was very lucky. I was I was an assistant at St. Joe's, 82-83, uh, when they won, when they won the championship, and they were practicing at St. Joe's at the time, and so I saw every practice that I was home and they were home, and then to watch how that gets built, and to watch how that competes, and to watch, you know, Bobby Jones play. And to watch Moses play, you know, like every day, not just not just in the arena, but like every day in the same gym that you were in, you know. And Billy Billy Cunningham and the and the coaching staff, you know, were always very open about letting you be around, you know. And I was I wasn't young, but I wasn't that old, and uh, it was just I mean, it was just so gratifying to watch how that happened.
1: Who were uh who were some of your guys growing up uh, that you uh, really admired, that you were drawn to playing the game? Was it all Sixers, other guys, Philly products? Uh,
0: I was a Pete Maravich guy. Okay. Um. A, a quick, quick story. When I graduated from college, when I graduated from Holy Cross. I was dating a girl who was working on the Cape uh, at the Chatham Bars Inn. She was waitressing there. And on the weekends – I was working in Worcester and on weekends I would either hitchhike or grab a bus or whatever down to Sears. So I get a ride to Hyannis. I'm walking through Hyannis and there's a uh there's a shoe store. And in the shoes and then in the shoe store they also sold Pro-Keds. And they had a big cutout of Pete Maravich with a pair of Pro-Keds on, and his floppy socks and the whole deal. And I went in and asked the guy, could I have it? He goes, no, you can't have it. What do you mean? I could, I could sell it to me that. I goes, no, I can't sell it to you. But you know what? If you come back here after the season's over, I'll give it to you. And so, you know, fast forward a couple months, I come back through there, I get it. And it was in my, I, I don't know, I have no idea where it is now, but I had it for a long time.
1: Tremendous. That's awesome. Um, and I got to think that given your timeline in and around the city, you probably – Ran across some pretty uh, respectable players uh, coming up through the ranks, and then, of
0: course, at Roman, a couple decent guy uh, guys. Mike Bannum, who works in the league office, was uh, the class ahead of me at Roman, um, and he, you know, he played in the '72 Olympics, and he was played in the league for a while before he got to the league office. Uh, obviously, my favorite guy, Jim O'Brien, was a classmate. Um,
1: Can we pause on that for a second? I mean, it seems like his presence. You talk about someone like T.J. McConnell being around the team, um, and it seems like observing from afar, Coach O'Brien is not one for a lot of words, but at least on the court when he's out there, the words carry weight.
0: Coach O'Brien does not suffer fools, (laughs) I guess (laughs) is the best way to put it. Never, never did, never will. He just seems like a great guy to have around. He offered to get just yesterday. We're all sitting eating up here, and uh, he went to go get uh, a water, and he turned back to Shay and goes, "Shay, can I can I get you something?" And I was like, "Whoa, wait, when did you get to be so nice? <laughs> like, <laughs> when did you become this nice guy?" And he goes, "Um, I like, probably not. I just thought I'd ask Shay." So <laughs> that's great. All right. So anyone uh, anyone else? Oh gosh, uh, Andre McCarter was a couple years behind us. Um, who went on to UCLA and had a pretty good career there. Uh, my goodness, Mo Howard, um, Ashley Howard's dad, who played with John Lucas and and Elmore down in Maryland. You know, those were guys that were like right in my, in kind of my high school wheelhouse.
1: And Ashley now an assistant at Villanova? Yes. Cool. Yes. Um, then on to Holy Cross, where you played. And I actually, um, after you mentioned at the start of the interview, Brett and playing at BU, did you ever cross paths with him or see him play at any point? Uh, I
0: saw him play, for sure. Because um, he would have been
1: after you were done playing a couple I coached years, against,
0: right? I coached against his dad uh when i was at irvine his dad was the head coach at bu his dad had been patino's assistant when Patino left his dad got the job and uh we had actually a former villanova project lloyd mumford transferred from there to us out in irvine and we came, we brought him back home and played bu so coached against his dad during that time how was his dad's coaching style what was that like uh similar to brett very 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 similar to brett um you know, a little bit matter-of-fact off the floor, but once they threw the ball up, very fiery, very active, very, very good coach, very, very good
1: coach. You continued through the coaching ranks, as you mentioned, a bunch of different places, um, Tufts, Seton Hall, UC Irvine, Cincinnati, Rutgers, and then ultimately you got into the professional ranks and semi-professional ranks. What were the trotter? years. So how do you be the head coach of the Harlem Globetrotters?
0: <laughs> it's a lot more difficult than you think. You know, those 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 plays that you watch when you go I actually I just watched a Globetrotter game. Maybe it was something was on this past weekend. I and it's different now than what it was then, but those things don't just happen by chance. You know, like it takes it takes you have to know what you're doing the generals have to know how to get out of the way and it's all timing. Um you it's because if you notice, every quarter ends on a basket. Like right then. And if and you have to make sure that you can control that and you have to make sure it happens the right way. Um it's it's one of the I was there for two and a half years and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Uh to Every night, whether you're in the arena, whether you're in the center or you're in some high school in podunk, whatever, the show has to look the same. It can't be any different no matter how many people. And we played in every NBA arena, uh, every large place overseas, and, and the show has to look the same every night. And that's why parents continue to bring their kids back to it because it's 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 a lot of fun. Actually, our favorite my favorite place other than the fact that I'm home, but almost everybody's favorite place was when we came to Philly. Because you would be here for a long time. Like we would come and we would be in a hotel in downtown Philly. And then we would play Leah courts. We would play at the center. We'd play a doubleheader on a Sunday at the center. We would go to Trenton, we would go to Elank City, we would go to Wildwood, we would go to Uh, Brookdale Community College so we would be here for eight days and work out of here but it's just so nice to be in the same place for eight days you know the the hardest part would be you go down to the hotel the next morning to check out or maybe you have like some kind of charges and the person behind the desk goes so uh, coach what room were you in and you can't (laughs) you, you have no idea you say 312 oh no wait that was the other day uh seven ten no, that was, I don't know, you tell me.
1: That's like a common thing that does happen on the road, e- even in the NBA that sure. I feel like people don't realize. It's like, yeah, you get caught on a back-to-back going from um, like New Orleans to Minneapolis and it's like you end up on the wrong floor in the middle of the night and you're like, why am I here? It's because sure. you were in 627 in New Orleans but you're really in 8, you know, 32
0: in, uh, now, in many. Now put that in a constant back-to-back. Insane. Where every day is a back-to-back. so but There's no
1: stop. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world.
1: So, eventually, into the G League, Bakersfield, as you mentioned, had a season in charge of the Seveners from 13-14, um, and then scouting with the Sixers. Was that something, was scouting an area that you always wanted to get into? How did that uh, transition come about?
0: I think, honestly, by the fact that I'm old, and, Please. <laughs> okay. Uh, and just because I had coached on the college level for 27 years and because I had been a couple years in the G League, and so I just knew a lot of people. And somehow or another <clears throat> we can take those connections and take those affiliations and utilize them. You know, let's, let's f- use what this old guy's got. And see if you know it makes us better, and I hope that it has. For as much as you're able to share, care to share.
1: You're going out all over the place. I'm assuming this is something that probably covers a bunch of different levels between amateur ranks, insight on pro ranks, sure. all of that. Sure. I would think. Sure, absolutely. Um, what is the uh,
0: what is the day to day life of a uh, of a scout like? I think for me, Bryant's a little bit different, maybe for some others, because I like to go somewhere and spend more than one days. I want more than one day. I like to go, catch practice, catch shoot around, uh, spend a little bit of time with the coaching staff, or the strength and conditioning staff. I, I like so instead of just going for an individual game, and and I do do individual games sometimes. Like I'll go. You know, the last two weeks or a week and a half ago, I went city to city to city in three days. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't like to do that if I don't have to. I'd rather go somewhere and be there for a few more for a longer period of time.
1: This really is then it's something where it, it takes into account. You would think when you're looking at guys, the full package. Sure. Yes. Not I mean, just checking out highlights, that sort
0: of thing. Yeah. No. I mean, you can do that from home. You know, I mean, it's a matter of, because you have to look at it like, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers are about to make a pretty significant investment in player X. And like anything else, if you were buying a stock or mutual fund, whatever, like you want to know everything about it. You want to know what it's going to be like in a year, in two years, in 10 years and that I think the same thing same way we go about what we do with players there's about to be a major hopefully a major investment in this guy and we have to know that we're going to get a significant return
1: i would have to think this time of year in particular it starts to get pretty busy between things heating up at the nba level and obviously what goes on at the college level
0: it's yes i mean but it 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 truly feels like this year more than the previous years is just flying by. Like, it, like all of a sudden, I mean, we're like, what, two weeks away from, from Selection Sunday? Right. And, I mean, like, you're like, boo, whoa, whoa. Like, all of a sudden, you you you, you kind of strive for the All-Star break, and the next thing you know, it's done. Like, everything is, you know, like now, you know, there's the, the Combine and Portsmouth and all these other things that you have to attend afterwards, but it takes – it has a different complexion once once you're done with your college season. It's just totally different.
1: And I got to think that there probably are not a whole lot of opportunities um where there's a down period in all this. Uh especially from the scouting standpoint because it's like, you know, you can jump between college pros um keeping your eye on what might be out there for summer league rosters, that sort of thing.
0: Um <laughs> and yeah. and and you know you have a McDonald's game, you have a Jordan game, you have right. a hoop summit, right, where now all of a sudden, the first week in April, you're already starting to look at the next crop you know and and so it's it it doesn't stop like you're saying you know there, there's a break, there's no break, it just keeps going, you know uh, you know, we start to go to usa basketball things you know to see what the next group is going to look like like right the next day after the draft i was at the u19 practice you know it just it doesn't two years ago lloyd and i we we the draft was whatever day it was thursday or friday whatever and then the next morning we're both on the next flight going to work uh going to work um nike academy it's just, you know, Lloyd and I have also, we do some other stuff for Nike where we we work the um, all-Asia camp in China. And it's just, it, it doesn't stop. So I was going to say, I mean, this is, and
1: the Sixers roster is a perfect case in point of this, this is just expanding. It's not just about regions of the United States. This is, you've probably got to have, connections, feed on the ground in all different parts of the world. So for an operation like a professional team scouting department, how do you guys maintain communication throughout the year? There's a couple times, right, when the entire department meets together here mm-hmm. um, at the training complex, but throughout the year I would have to think that you guys stay in touch, and it's a pretty coordinated operation.
0: We have, you know, we, we probably have a conference call every 10 days, 2 weeks, where we just, you know, get on the phone and talk about what's going on and who we've seen and where we are in our, in our thought process about guys. Um, we have a, a, an app that we use where we're constantly communicating with each other and communicating as a group and throwing information back and forth uh, that we've seen somewhere. Um, and a lot of times, recently, we'll do things together. Like, I was just with Phil Jabour at a game. Danny Mills and I have been to game. Vince and I have, like, we, we do things together and kind of compare notes, like, right there sitting. You know, what'd you see? What'd you see? You know, and, and it, it just, I think it makes us better. It really does. I, I think that we're, I mean, I would hope that everybody, every team thinks that they have the best group working at this. I'm positive that we do.
1: With the team entering into a new phase of its progression and development, does that alter or shift the approach of scouting philosophically, what you guys look for?
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, like it's it's different for me. You know, like these other guys have been doing it for a little bit longer than I have or some a lot longer than I have. But I'm used to just going to find – like going and looking at the best guys there are. And, yeah, you'll look at some other guys, but – you know, when when you're potentially picking one through three, you know, that that's a pretty finite, that's a pretty elite group. Well, now all of a sudden, we're not picking in that group anymore, you know. So even though you're going to watch those guys because you need to know, and but I need to see what that next tier of guys look like or even the tier after that looks like. Like before we were going, we were looking really, really high and then really, really low. Well, now we're kind of more to the middle. And it's a different, it's a different dynamic. It's pretty, uh,
1: pretty fascinating process. It seems like, uh, you know. Beats, beats working. <laughs> Amen. There are some guys in this world who have to work every day. That is the truth. I was told by a well-embedded source that before we wrap this up, I need to ask you about the best place in Philadelphia to get some grub and catch some tunes. Any thoughts on an establishment to? Uh, there's one place <laughs> to that's hit?
0: very. There's one place that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, actually I was in there last night, uh, South on Broad Street, 600 North Broad. Uh, it is a, the, not the only, but surely the best, uh, jazz performance place in town. Uh, and the food is awfully good. Awfully, awfully good. Uh. I'm not ashamed to say that it is owned and operated by two of my cousins, Robert and Benjamin Bynum, who have a couple of different places. They own Warm Daddies and oh, cool. a couple of other places. Uh, when you go to Warm Daddies and you see some of those things, like that's my aunt's, that's their mother, my aunt's meatloaf. Really? Yeah. Because
1: um, that place is like, uh, that's an institution.
0: Yeah and they used to have a they used to have a jazz place on, on Broad Street on the other side in the in the Bellevue Stratford a place called Zanzibar Blue that oh, I remember to be, that. Yeah, that was theirs also. Some great hoop Permanent stories, and also so it sounds like a, uh, a pretty good grub tip. You know, your listeners are shared by for a true a music hoops and lifer, a Roman
1: Catholic Rod there. Baker South, who's now South. one of the lead Keep scouts for the 76ers. Bro. Awesome. Sixers, Rod Baker, back this great. Thanks so much. Saturday, right, they go for a seventh straight win, hosting the Orlando Magic, cool. and then a really crucial three-game road trip against three teams in the Eastern Conference that, like the 76ers, are currently jockeying for playoff positioning in the standings. They've got the Washington Wizards currently in fourth place on Sunday. Then the Miami Heat in the middle of the week. The Heat are just behind the Sixers in the standings, and then the road trip wraps up with a stop at the Q against LeBron James and the revamped Cleveland Cavaliers. So we'll have a handful of Rewind podcasts coming your way in the next couple days. Big thanks to Rod Baker for taking the time to sit down and talk. Thanks to you for listening. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you next time here on the broadcast.